You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. It's fantastic to see you. Big hello to those of us joining on the online community. It's great to have you with us too. And uh, my name's Chuck. If we haven't met before, uh, I mean, it's not really Chuck. It's not on my passport as Chuck, but I'm sort of stuck with it now. Uh, It's been my name since I was about 11 or 12 years old. And um, just to clear something up before we get started, because somebody did actually say to me this morning, I'm not being rude. But when you're not here, where actually are you? And, and um, that is a fair enough question. So uh, every one of the, we have eight different locations of our church. Every single one has amazing pastors. James and Tori are the pastors here. Libby's the online pastor. And, um, but Taryn and I, my wife Taryn and I, we have a particular role, responsibility within the leadership of our church to oversee the whole church. And so when we're not here, we're at one of our other locations. Last week, often two actually, so last week I was in Lawrence, Kirk and Stonehaven. The week before that I was in Inverurie. The week before that I was in Ellen and Peterhead. And so it goes on like that. And so I'm not, I promise you, watching uh, cookery programs on TV when I'm not here. I'm, some, I'm somewhere else, I promise that. Well, most of the time. And uh, it's fantastic to be with you. We're going to open up the scriptures this morning, uh, as we do every week. And if you've got your Bible with you, then that's really fantastic. We're in um, uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, which is quite hard to say, actually. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at that in a moment. But why don't we pray? And so, Lord, we bring our whole lives to this moment. We want you to speak to us. We want you, like we are an open book. We don't just have an open book in front of us. We are an open book. We want you to just speak into the core of who we are and to encourage us and strengthen us and shape us and uh, challenge us. We, We would so love you to speak, God. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would be present amongst us as we open up your word together. Amen. Amen. I don't know whether you've ever been reading something, and as you're reading it, you're suddenly like, hang on a minute, what have I just read? Has that ever happened to you? I was um, just scrolling through the news, as I do, and I was scrolling through, like, mortgage interest rate news and inflation news and global affairs news and stuff like that. And then I come, came across this crazy news story, and the headline was this, Woman attacked by snake and hawk at the same time while mowing the lawn. Did anyone else come across that? It was this crazy story. This poor woman, right, she's out there cutting her grass, and then suddenly a snake lands on her. Like, not just like in front of her, it lands on her, and then it starts wrapping itself around her arm and constricting the blood flow to her hand. How many know that's already a bad day when something like that happens to you, right? And then, and then, And then the hawk that had dropped the snake on her decided it wanted the snake back. And so it kind of flew down and and started grabbing at her arm. It tied four attempts. And so there's blood everywhere and all that kind of stuff. And and eventually it took the snake away, uh, you know, and and had it for its lunch or something like that. And, And 
This is what she said in the news article. I just kept saying, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And I can see exactly why. And then, and then later on it said, Ms. Jones has, been, uh, has since been back mowing her lawn under the close supervision of her husband. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what difference her husband was going to make, but there you go. Do you see what I mean? You're just like reading stuff, you're reading, swiping through, and then suddenly it's like, what on earth have I just read? And it seems to me, this is a slightly tenuous link, but... It seems to me that this is a little bit like what the Bible is like. You know, there are so many parts of the Bible that are immediately accessible, that are super encouraging, inspiring, easy to apply to our lives. Often it almost seems like, I don't know about you, but for me it seems like I could be reading something and, and without any real thought, it's like the, the, the words are just taking themselves off the page and challenging me or applying themselves to my life. And I'm like, I know, Lord, I know, I know. Uh, and that's how it works. But sometimes you read things and you think, I don't really know what that means, or I'm not quite sure what that's about, or I'm sorry, what have I just read? And we've got an absolute peach of a specimen today. So, so uh, if you're new and visiting today, you might think, wow, these guys like pick really obscure parts of the Bible to look at. No, 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 no. We just work our way through books of the Bible. And so the way that plays out is that sometimes we have super encouraging and easy and inspiring passages and, and, and it's pretty straightforward. And then other times we have to kind of do a bit of work together to try to figure out what it's all about. And I, I, to be honest, I just love that. It, it, wouldn't it be so strange if we only covered the easy parts of the Bible in church and then we left you all to kind of struggle away with the hard parts at home? So let's not do that. Let's just work our way through books of the Bible. And today... So we've been in a series working our way through 1 Thessalonians for the whole summer, pretty much. This is our last session doing that. And so we've arrived at the final four sentences of 1 Thessalonians. And so we've been looking at uh, mostly the fact that there is a day of the Lord. You know, there's a day coming where God is going to bring judgment and then he'll bring mercy and, and so we should live in the light of that. And so that's been our general theme as we're working through. We've called it Future Focus. And today what we're going to look at is the Apostle Paul's specific instruction that when you see one another in church, on a Sunday morning perhaps, you greet each other not with like fist bumps or high fives or handshakes, but with a holy kiss. So you're looking forward to that. We're going to strap ourselves in. That's right, brothers and sisters. Specific instruction to be kissing each other in church, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, 5, verse 25. Here are the four sentences for us today. Brothers and sisters, he says, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. There it is, in all of its glory. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's good, isn't it? So, those are the four sentences. And, and um, how, like, how are we going to approach those? How, if you were in your bedroom on a Thursday morning and you just suddenly came across that, how, what are you going to do with that? And, um, well, first of all, it's important to notice that the sentence with the kissing in it is only one of the four sentences. 
And that's quite important because that means that there are three sentences that are not about kissing. Thank you, Jesus. And so we can immediately look at those first of all, and we can look at what's the low-hanging fruit? What are the things in the other three sentences that we could immediately apply to our lives? We're going to pick the low-hanging fruit. What is this passage teaching us? Well, firstly, I think he's teaching us to invite prayer, to invite people to pray for us. There it is in our very first sentence, verse 25. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Many of you will have come across our friend Steve Nicholson. Steve is a retired pastor. There are many retired people in the room today. Uh, He's a retired vineyard pastor from Chicago, led his church for about 45 years, and, and he's a good friend of ours. In fact, we've known him for more than 20 years. And the the very first time we ever met him, we were at a a particular event and he was speaking at the event. And so we were in the lunch queue together and I was just maybe right in front of him or right behind him. And we were chatting away and he was asking us questions about ourselves and we were asking him questions. And then I thought, hang on a minute, I've got an amazing opportunity here. And so I said to him, Steve, would you please pray for us just while we're, it seems to be the queue's kind of... um, not moving as fast as we might have wanted. And so let's just take the opportunity. Will you please pray for me? And so he lays his hand on my shoulder and for a few moments that he's just quiet or maybe just praying quietly. And then he says to me, you're a bit of a Jeremiah, aren't you? And I said, I I don't really understand what what you mean. He said, well, have you got a Bible? And embarrassingly, I didn't have a Bible. And so I just said, has anyone else got a Bible? And we've got a Bible to hand and he said, just read out Jeremiah chapter 1, just out loud, as, I, as we're praying for you. And so I started to read out. And, and there's a moment, like really uh, near the, the start, where God starts to speak to Jeremiah. And he says this. He says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And for most people, that's like, yeah, that's nice. For me, that was a remarkable moment. And the reason it was a crazy moment for me was because I'm a twin, I've got a twin brother, and my mum didn't know that she was having twins until my brother was born. And so she has one baby, and then they're like, eh, there's, still an, there's still another baby in there, and that was me, right? And so, and so I mean, that is crazy, isn't it? And so, uh, for, for my whole childhood, my, my mum used to call me her little surprise. And that, that was just how she referred to me, I'm just, just her little surprise. And here is a man I've never met before, just starts to pray for me, and he just gets me to read out this passage, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so I'm already like crying and shaking, and I'm thinking, God, oh my goodness, like God really exists, like he, and he knows me. And then he, uh, he goes on to say, uh, um, essentially he says to God, God, I'm too young. And God says, don't say I'm too young because I'm going to send you to some people and I want you to say exactly what you've got to say. And again, this is like really relevant. Like we were just awkward, you know, young adults at the time. God speaking directly into my situation. And then he goes on to say, I'm calling you to build and to plant, to build and to plant. And uh, th- again, that's played out in my life. Like that's, that's part of what God's called me to do. And all of these things he knew, not, he couldn't have known in any way but God was speaking directly into my situation. And my point is, if things like that happen when we pray for each other, they can happen and they do happen, why don't I ask people to pray for me more often? 
isn't it a strange thing that, that somehow in our culture to invite people to pray for us is almost like an admission of weakness. It's like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm having a crisis, therefore please will you pray for me. It seems to be about the only moment when, I, when we would invite people to pray, pray for us. And yet one of the things that I've noticed is that the Apostle Paul does this all the time. This isn't just like a one-off occurrence, brothers and sisters, pray for me. In fact, uh, Colossians chapter 4, and pray for us too that God may may open a door for our message. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. Philippians 1 verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me. Romans 15 verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. I know I'm laboring the point, but my point is, this is a regular pattern in his life. In intentional humility, in so many different occasions, on so many different occasions in his life, he invites his friends to pray for him. And why would we not do that too? Like, I've got a new, I've got a a job interview coming up, or I'm trying to buy a new house, or I've got a doctor's appointment coming up, or or there's something happening in my uh, friendships, or, or, um, you know, whatever it is. Like, why would I not just invite people to pray for me? If that's the, you know, like, if anyone gets a free pass on this, it's the Apostle Paul, right? You know, maybe he's got his life sewn up and together to the degree where he doesn't need to ask other people to pray for him. It turns out even he needs to do that. So why would we not do that too? I think there's like, in all honesty, this is a bit of a moment for our church because I honestly think that, you know, at the end of every service, for years and years and years, we have been inviting people to the front or to the side or to the back and it's like, you know, would you like someone to pray for you? And some people do, but the rest of us, and I, I, you know, like to my shame, I would say that this is me. On, in my inmost thoughts, I think, what would people think? Or, or, you know, there's something about the respectability, like, oh, I, I'm kind of together, but so therefore I don't go to the front or the back or the side or, or whatever it is. And I think... This is the moment where it stops. Because we have to allow the scriptures to challenge us. If the Apostle Paul is inviting people to pray for him, then maybe we could too. Okay, so low-hanging fruit, number one. In fact, let me just make one other comment. I don't know whether you saw, a few months ago, there was the revival in Asbury University. And it was really about thousands of young people, young adults, getting themselves right with God. It was incredibly, um, you know, just a remarkable moment in history. And, and, but the photographs of those moments are of young people flooding to the front, filling the front, getting on their knees and getting right with God. And, and so it seems to me that they're doing something that is really uh, setting the example for us. And so, so let's just allow that to become our new pattern. So he's challenging us to invite prayer. Secondly, he's challenging us to gather together. 
This is really just something to notice in passing. We're going to skip over the kissing sentence, which is sentence number two. Coming to number three, verse 27. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter letter read to all the brothers and sisters. That's the key word, to all the brothers and sisters. So here's how it's going to work. Paul and Silas and Timothy... They've written this letter, they've sent it with a messenger, and that messenger has maybe travelled by land or by sea, we don't know. They've arrived in Thessalonica, and they're going to read this letter aloud to everyone who's gathered there, and it turns out that everyone is gathered there. Like, everyone's there. And it's probably just one of hundreds of moments in the New Testament where the underlying assumption of the New Testament is that... God's people gather together under one roof all the time. You know, that, it's just a priority in their lives. They just, they just meet together, they worship, they break bread, they, they teach one another, they pray for each other. It's just what they do all the time. You see it there, you know, when he says, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. It's like, this is just what they do. Everyone does it all the time. I'm reminded of that verse in Hebrews chapter 10 where, where the writer to the Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other. And so I, I think what I want to say from this passage is really like, we did a good thing today. You know, when we, when we got out of bed... We were already heading in the right direction. And then, and then when we got in our cars and, and we, you know, we decided to not drive towards the mountains, but instead we drove towards the church or we decided to not drive towards the sea or the garden centre or B&Q, but we decided to drive towards the church. We were already heading in a biblical and good direction. And we came to church today and we did a good thing. And those of you on the online community, for various reasons, that's not possible for you. But you could have been watching cookery programs, and yet you're not. You're here with us today. It's a good thing. You know, like one of the conversations that uh, we as pastors have with other pastors, it's like one of the first things that comes up is the conversation about how often do your people come to church? And the conversation always goes the same. It's like people used to come like three or four times a month. And then it kind of dropped down to like two or three. And then post-COVID, it's like one or two. And so lots of people are saying, I think my church is slightly bigger than it was, but I can't tell because not everyone comes every week. And the truth is like we're hugely encouraged because most of our people in our church come every week. But even so, we have... On an average Sunday, maybe 850 people coming to church, and yet we have 1,300 or something like that on our database. So not everyone is coming every week. And so let's just recalibrate. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to recalibrate our hearts today. That a biblical expectation of what we as Christians do is we gather together. That's what we do. Week by week, we gather together. Okay. It's really hard to give someone a holy kiss over email, so we need to just make sure we're in the same, same room. It's a little joke. Okay. Third thing. Third thing that's easy. It's just like it's not in the kissing sentence. It's in sentence number four. It's to live in the grace of God. To live in the grace of God. This letter was written in ancient Greek and takes the form of an ancient Greek letter. And all ancient Greek letters were basically the same. And it's slightly different from the way that we write letters today. So in ancient Greece and and beyond, 
in the ancient world, they'd start with who the letter's from, and then they'd say who's the letter to, and then they'd have a greeting, and then they'd have the main body of the letter, and then they'd finish with a kind of closing greeting. And you see that this, you know, all of the New Testament letters follow a similar pattern. Who's it from? Who's it to? Little greeting, main body of the text. Who's it? Uh, and then just a kind of closing greeting. But this, all of Paul's letters are different in one respect to ancient Greek letters. And that is that most ancient Greek letters started with a formal greeting and, and they, they have the word kairain in them, which is like quite a formal way of saying hello. It's like greetings kind of a thing. Greetings. The Apostle Paul never starts his letters with kairain, greetings. He, he just changes a few letters. And so all, of, all 13 of Paul's letters start with charis, not kairain, charis, grace. Grace to you, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one, all 13. And then very often at the end, ancient Greek letters would have finished with a wish. Like, I wish you well. I wish you'll stay healthy. I wish that you'll uh, have a good year. And the Apostle Paul never finishes with a wish. And in fact, uh, if you look there, he quite often finishes like he does in verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you see? So all the other ancient Greek letters start off with greetings and end with I wish. And he starts his letters with grace. To you and finishes with grace to you. It just starts and ends with grace. It's almost a window into his understanding of what, it, what being a Christian really is. Starts and ends with grace. Starts and ends with grace. I, um, I remember when our eldest child was uh, going to go away to one of those residential weeks in primary school, you know, for the first time. And he was as he was uh, a bit nervous about, you know, what's it going to be like and, and what we're going to do and, and, and will I be able to sleep at night and will it all be strange and all of those kinds of things and will I miss you? And I was, you know, obviously trying to reassure him. So I'm saying, no, 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 you won't miss us. You'll be far too busy to ha having fun to miss us. You won't even think about us for a single moment. And as I'm saying that, actually what I'm really aware of is that I'm going to miss him. And I knew for a fact that as soon as he'd, you know, I'd waved him off on the coach, I'd go back home and I'd sit on his bed and I'd miss him. And I'd just wait for him to come home. I'd, you know, I'd miss his quick as a flash one-liners and I'd miss him leaving his socks all around the house. And I'd miss the way that he looks at me with pity in his eyes, which is pretty much how he's looked at me ever since. And <laughs> I knew that I'd just sit on his bed and... Uh, you know, every day and just, and just miss him. And for me, that's a, a way of understanding the posture of God towards us. He just misses us. You see that all the way throughout the Bible. It, like if you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is really a, a, a kind of a, an ongoing historical narrative about how God misses his people. They're always turning their backs on him. They're always going away. They're always saying, we're not interested in you. And he's just there at the end of their bed waiting for them to come home. You see it in the prophet Haggai. The prophet Haggai um, uh, it comes at a moment in, in history where God's people have really turned their backs on him. 
And God's word through the prophet Haggai three times is, I'm with you. You might not be with me, but I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just here. I'm waiting for you. You see it, don't you, in the, in the parables of Jesus, in the teachings of Jesus, the story of the, the prodigal, uh, um, the, the lost sheep. You know, it's like, I, I can't cope with him not being here. I'm going to go looking for him. The parable of the lost coin, the woman who turns her whole house upside down because this one tiny coin is missing. The parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. You, you, you know, it's like the, the father who just comes running. He's been waiting and he just comes running towards his son. It's the heart of God. And the, 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 the language that we use to describe this, this God who just waits for us all the time, just waiting, 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 is, is it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And so Paul starts and ends his letter with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's not, a, it's not a throwaway greeting, it's a way of life. That we would just inhabit that space. We would, we would live in the, in the consistent knowledge of God being with us and for us every day. Even if we turn our backs on him, he's still right here. We don't need to strive. We don't need to earn his love. We don't need to, to try to impress him in any way. He's right here. He's been waiting. Some, pe- some people in this room right now or online, it's like you, you feel like God's a long way off. It's a lie. He's right here. You think you've chased God away. You think you've, you've kind of pushed him away. You can't push God away. He's right here. He's teaching us to just live in, inhabit the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus be with you. So those are the three things that we can easily get from this passage without going anywhere near anything. But we are going to go near the kissing people, so let's do it. Verse 26. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Well, there's a couple of things that we need to know about the holy kissing. Uh, the first thing that we need to know is that this isn't just like one random event, unfortunately. You know, if there's one verse that's like random, then we might be able to kind of like or think, oh, well, it's only once, so maybe we don't need to take it so seriously. Paul says this four times in the New Testament, and Peter also says it. So there are five moments in the New Testament where we are instructed to kiss each other in a holy way. Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 13 are Paul's moments. So this is something that he's been thinking about a lot. The second thing we need to know about this kissing thing is that if you lived in the ancient world, you would be kissing lots of people. I don't know whether you're the kind of person who's like tactile, you like being with people, or you're the kind of person who's like, please don't touch me, please don't touch me. I've got some bad news for you if that's you, because in the ancient world, you kissed everybody. You know, it it wasn't even like handshaking, because you don't always handshake everyone, do you? You kissed everyone. So it's way more like, you, you know, when you see someone at work or at college or whatever, and you go, you're right? In our culture, we'd be like, you're right, yeah, you, yeah, you would have kissed them. You know, just passing in the corridor, you know, BP or Shell, you're right, yeah, kiss, going for the kiss. And so if he'd only said, greet each other with a kiss, you would have been like, well, duh, you know, like, that's what I have to do hundreds and hundreds of times a day. I kiss lots of people. He doesn't only say, greet each other with a kiss. He says, greet each other with a holy kiss. 
So that's the instruction. It's the, the instruction is in the adjective. He's saying, I want you to greet each other in a holy way, in a pure way, with genuine affection. I want, I, I, it, like, don't just like kiss everyone, but seethe on the inside. If you think about it, there are two big kisses in the Bible. One big kiss is the kiss by the betrayer, the disciple who's J- Judas who's going to betray Jesus. He greets Jesus with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's another kiss, which is the kiss of the father in the story of the prodigal son. This, you know, the, the son eventually turns and he comes towards home. And as he comes towards home, well, let's read it. Luke 15, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Holy kiss. You see, the two kisses look the same from the outside, don't they? More or less. So it's not what happens on the outside that really counts. It's what's going on on the inside. It's about the intention, the motive, the purity of our welcome, the genuine affection of our welcome. And that's why nearly all biblical scholars in the world, nearly all, but not exactly all, say that it's, the pra- it's not the practice of kissing that we need to, that's like the takeaway, passage, takeaway from this passage. It's not the practice, it's the principle, it's the holiness of the greeting. And that's why he says, not just once but four times, greet all the Lord's people, all God's people, with a holy kiss. In a way, I think he's casting a vision for the kind of community that we could and should become. The kind of community where we hold one another in genuine affection. The kind of community where we welcome all people. The kind of people who we, uh, the kind of community where we wrap our arms around everyone and we include them. It's radical inclusion, radical community. And so as we come into land, let me, so, uh, we've already said that one of the important words in this sentence is greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Let's look at some of the other words just to pull it apart a bit. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Greet all God's people with the same heartfelt purity and affection. If you think about it, the, the church in Thessalonica, this community is different from every other community in Thessalonica. Because there are people of all different kinds. You know, there are black people and white people. There are Roman citizens and slaves. There are Jews and Gentiles. There are men and women. There are young and old. And they're all loving one another in a remarkable way. This is a group of people who would never have found community together if it wasn't for Jesus. And many of those people have lost everything. They've lost friends. They've lost family. They've, you know, br- they've lost their, their kids because they've decided to follow Jesus. They've lost their parents because they've decided to follow Jesus. They've lost their jobs, their income, their livelihood, their, their, many of them their homes. They've had to run in fear of their lives. They've found one another in community. They're holding one another, gripping onto one another for dear life. And they're loving the Lord and they're loving one another. This is a remarkable community. And, and he says, greet everyone. Greet all God's people. Just hold one another. This is like no other community on the face of the earth. Everyone's included. Nobody's left out. Even if they've done you wrong, even if they've let you down, 
Greet all God's people with purity. Don't hold anything against anyone. This is, this is a community. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Uh, second or thirdly, he says, greet all God's people. Reminding us that every person has the same beautiful dignity because everyone is loved equally by God. They're God's people. And so, you know, some people are really easy to love, aren't they? And other people we find harder to love. But they're all God's people. And so we love one another equally. And, and lastly, he says, greet all God's people. In other words, this isn't something you get to decide when you've warmed up a bit. You know, like, um, this happens immediately. As soon as the doors are open and someone comes through, you're immediately loving them. You're immediately kind to them. You know, it's not like, well, I'll just decide whether I like them or not. You know, I'm just kind of like the sort of person who just takes a while to figure out whether or not I like people. It's like, no, 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 we don't get to decide that. Greet them with affection, with holiness, with purity. And so that's his vision for us, that, I, I, that we would be the kind of community that would open up our hearts and our lives to one another in a genuine way. And that together we would be a radically inclusive and welcoming group of people, perhaps the most welcoming group of people that anyone has ever met. Why don't we stand?